We're going to be in John chapter 21 today, um, so we'll be there in just a moment. Uh, and, and one of the things that I love about this passage is there's kind of this essence of seeing a lot of things maybe come together. Um, I, I don't know about you, but there's probably been moments in your life where you like saw something finally that you worked at or that you were invested in, and it like actually started to come together. Maybe it was like something that you were studying as a part of school, and, and you're reading, and it's daunting, and you don't know how you're ever going to get there, how you're going to pass the test or make the grade, and then it happens. Something clicks, and it makes sense to you, and you kind of start flying through it. Maybe it's at your job. You start a new job, and, and you, you, you're kind of really overwhelmed with all of the things, the tasks, the, the, the stuff that you've got to do, and maybe you grow to the place, and you kind of start to settle in, and something like finally clicks, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm doing this. I'm like actually making these things happen. Maybe uh, it's, it's in your parenting. Maybe you've told your child this thing over and over and over again, and, and one day something clicks, and they do this wild thing. It's crazy. They like, listen to you. And they actually, like, I think they heard me and they heard what I was saying and, the, and, and it stuck. And that thing that I was really seeking to invest in them and share with them and tell them, they finally believed it. Something clicked and you kind of start to see all of these things come together. Those are incredible moments when things kind of fall into place. So in my time in seminary, my job while I was in seminary was I worked um, for a guy. He had a music business and I taught guitar lessons. That's, like that, that's what I did all the way through seminary. So I'd go to class during the day, and in the afternoons, I would go teach people guitar. And I remember sitting down with kids and some adults and s- sitting there and saying, hey, I'm going to help you, and you're going to learn to play this song. right? You're going you're to be able to play this song one day. And people are like, I, I can't do that. There's no way I'm going to do that. But after practice and after some initiative and kind of getting there, I, one of the most incredible things was to watch people see it click. And it makes sense. And, and all of a sudden, they're playing their favorite song or the, the song that they've been trying to learn. Maybe, it was, maybe you taught somebody. Maybe, you were, maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're instructing somebody in something. When you watch somebody, when you see it start to click, man, it's a really powerful thing to watch somebody see things come together. Today, we're going to close our series, I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. We've been looking at statements in the Gospel of John in which Jesus reveals who He truly is through His words. And today, we're going to see kind of one of these moments where seemingly things are starting to click. All of these statements, all of these phrases that Jesus has been using and sharing with His disciples in the context of, of not only His earthly ministry, but in their very lives. These words where He would say, Truly, that, that I'm the light of the world, that I'm the gate, that I'm the door, that I'm the good shepherd, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that I'm the vine, that I'm the resurrection and the life. All of these words, perhaps now, after the resurrection, are starting to come together and make sense. We find ourselves this morning in a passage that's going to harken back to one of these I am phrase, phrases. Uh, we find ourselves at a meal in which the disciples begin to see everything coming together as they have breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. And they hearken back to the words that he'd spoken to them prior to his crucifixion and resurrection. The words are this, I am the bread of life. It's all starting to come together. Look at John chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. It says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord which we say together. Thanks be to God. Four things to see in this text today. These, these four things, simple things that we'll see in the text, but they're very, very profound. Number one, in this passage we get a picture. Jesus shows us who he is. Jesus shows us who he is. Second, Jesus shows us who we are. We get a picture of who we are, just like the disciples. Jesus shows us who we are. Third, Jesus comes to us. This is really, really important. Jesus comes to us. And fourth and finally, Jesus serves us. Jesus serves us. Number one, let's look at this. Jesus shows us in this text who he is. Now, he appeared to them, and this is what it says in John's Gospel, that he appeared, he revealed himself to the disciples, it says in verse 1, and and look down in verse 14, this is the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So if you and I are reading this passage, and we've kept up with John's Gospel, it's so hard to do this, I think, for us, but if you can, try to picture yourself as someone who's reading this for the first time, and you're reading chapter 21, verse 1, for the very first time. After this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. That seems like a big thing. The resurrected Jesus is revealing himself to his followers, those he loved. So if I read that, I'm probably reading with anticipation that something big and something great and something amazing and something grandiose is about to happen. And it is. But it doesn't look the way I think it would look. You know what this grandiose thing is this grandiose thing that Jesus does in this moment? He makes breakfast. That's what he does. This is the big moment. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples again. And you think about the time that Jesus has left before he ascends to the Father and of all the things that he could do and teach and share and preach and proclaim. every, And he takes a moment with his disciples and he has breakfast with him. He does something really, really powerful to help show who he is in this moment. 
And some of those things are, are, are character. But some of those things in, in this moment, one thing that's really important for us to understand is the content. Like actually, like who he is. This is the resurrected Jesus and he is in human body. Not in some sort of spirit form or anything like this. No, he is full of flesh. How do we know this? How do we see this? In Luke's chapter, when Luke describes Jesus appearing for the first time in the upper room, talks about him eating a piece of broiled fish. Jesus asked if he had anything to eat, right? And while in this passage we don't see anything like specific about Jesus taking food and putting it in his mouth, it's obviously implied. Jesus is saying, Come and have breakfast. He eats a meal with them, and it's common. It's ordinary, but it's human. It's really human. Like, I don't know about you, but I really am beginning to think that most of my life revolves around food. Like, really. Like, uh, most of my days are planned out with who I'm going to eat breakfast with or who I'm going to eat lunch with and what we're having for dinner. Like, I don't know how many times a week I ask this question, what are we having for dinner, right? And I'm making food for all these little people. And they got it good because sometimes they get two or three dinners, right? Nobody can agree on the same thing. We're all eating different stuff. Uh, we're paper plate people at our house now. We finally learned this after a long season of doing dishes, Right? Like, all of my life, it feels like revolves around meals. But here's the thing to eat is to be human. It's a human thing, it's a real thing, it's an innate thing. We eat, we're hungry. Some of you, I'm saying this, and you're like, you know what, dude, speed it up, I'm hungry right now. Jesus shows who he is. Physically to the disciples. That he's truly resurrected. And he eats a meal with them. The word has taken on flesh. Real flesh. That flesh is resurrected. And he comes to his disciples. Not to just show his character. He does. But he also shows them the power of the resurrection. Just through doing the most human Thing possible. He just eats a meal with them. Not only does he reveal who he is, second, this happens. Jesus shows us who we are. In this moment, with this picture and this account of the disciples, we get a picture of who you and I are, like who we really, really are. Here's the thing. Peter is a fisherman by trade before he begins following Jesus. Do you remember this? There's nothing more fun than going fishing with somebody who knows how to fish, right? I grew up like, like my, my dad was, a, was, he loved fishing, and I don't know if this is going to, like, how this is going to land, but we used to watch these videos of this guy, Bill Dance, and he used to be on TV. Do you remember this guy? And, like, it's a, it was a joke. It was, like, a literal joke. He's just, oh, there's one. And, like, every cast, like, the, it had, like, the bait had not hit the water. Like, fish are jumping out the water to get this guy's stuff. Just an incredible fisherman. And if you go fish with somebody that, that knows where the fish are, that like has done this before, it is a ton of fun. Because you're not really fishing, you're just like pulling in fish. It's because people that do that, like they fished that spot before, they know that place. But here's something wild. 
Peter and the disciples, as the passage tells us, they didn't catch anything all night. And that might seem normal to us, because for me, like if I just go fishing, there's a really good chance I'm not going to catch anything. But I'm also not an actual fisherman. Here's what's interesting about this account. Peter's on his lake. Peter's actually on his lake. See, the Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Look at this passage from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this speaks of Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Why is that important? This is where Peter began following Jesus. He was fishing here in this place all the time. He knows where to fish and he knows where not to fish. This is his home turf. Like if you and I were in some sort of like biblical bass masters, this guy's got the upper hand. This is his spot. He has home field advantage. This is where he fishes, but he doesn't catch anything. Now, how is that possible? And you may say like, all right, he's been following Jesus for a few years, so he's a little rusty, right? But ultimately, I think John includes this in this text to prove a really profound point. It's not until he heeds the words of Jesus that he catches the fish. It's not until he hears what Jesus says and obeys, it's not until that moment that he receives the thing that he's after. John's drawing us in the simplest way Fish in a net. In the simplest way, he's saying something really profound. We are dependent upon Jesus. That's what John is drawing out in this story. And we sing these words, and we sing it together in, in a beautiful, repetitive form just a moment ago. I depend on you. I depend on you. This is what John is saying, and he's reminding readers like you and me, those who would hear the word of God to see, is that we are fully dependent on Jesus completely. Apart from him, there's nothing. But with him, there's not just what we need, there's more. Like 153 times more. So many fish they brought in. John is drawing us to the reality that it's the words of Jesus that lead us to life, that lead us to sustenance, that give us what we need to be full, that give us vitality. Jesus shows us who we are in this moment. And who are we? We're people that can't bring in the fish by ourselves. We're people that are dependent. We're people that are fully in need of what only the Savior can do. Jesus shows us who we are. We're dependent on him. So not only does Jesus show who he is to us in his real resurrected flesh that dines with people, not only does Jesus show us who we are, that we are people who are fully, completely dependent on him, Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us. Notice at the start of this account, the disciples are simply going fishing. It doesn't seem like the plan is we're going to go fishing and then we're going to meet up with Jesus later. 
That's not how it's described. It's Jesus who pursues them still. He's loved them to the end in his death and resurrection. And just like at the beginning of his earthly ministry, think about this. He's calling them to shore. He's calling these fishermen to shore, to be with him again, to hear from him again, to be loved again, just like they were called in that Matthew passage the first time. Jesus is in pursuit of them. I attended a funeral this week, um, and like at most funerals, Psalm 23 was read. It's an incredible psalm of comfort and consolation, and there's myriad truths that this psalm presents. One of the most profound ones, I think, is in verse 6. In Psalm 23, 6, David writes, and he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We're doing the Hebrew a pretty bad injustice in this one. Because follow seems like trailing or seems like coming after. But in the way we construct words in the English language, that might seem kind of passive or just say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going a direction. When David pins these words, he's talking about radical, insatiable pursuit. That goodness and mercy are hunting him down. They are running after him. That's what that text means. And goodness and mercy here are ultimately not just poetic, they're prophetic. Because they're pointing to the one who is goodness, who is mercy, Jesus Christ himself, who will follow us, who will come after us, who will chase us down. Leaving the 99 to come after the one. That's the kind of savior that we have. And even in this simple moment, it's important to see that it's Jesus who's still coming after those he loves. It's Jesus who comes after us. Because you and I, at times, like to believe this lie that we sought him out. <laughs> that we, we thought, you know what? I, I'm going to go after Jesus. I'm going to pursue him. Well, Paul's got some convicting words for us. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Jesus is the good shepherd that's in pursuit of his sheep. He's the one who's continually pursuing those he loves, revealing himself to us so that we can have the abundant life that he offers, so that we can know him, so that we can recognize that we're dependent on him. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus is the one who pursues us. Not only does Jesus reveal himself, show himself to us, not only does Jesus show us who we are, not only does Jesus come to us, but finally Jesus serves us. Look at verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. He's loved them to the end. He's died. He's resurrected. The scriptures have been fulfilled. And yet Jesus in this moment is still serving them. I would imagine if, if I was a disciple, if I was there, I would think, I would hope, and it's probably not the case, right? But I would think and I would hope that, no, Jesus, I got this one. 
right? You've, you've done enough. Maybe I can just do this. But no, Jesus is serving. Why? Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And even in this moment, he's still continually serving. This is who Jesus is. And here's the incredible thing. Jesus is still serving you and me at this very moment. At this moment. And you might say, well, that's a pretty bold statement. How can you know that? How can you say that? Well, the scriptures tell us that. This is Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 22. As the writer of Hebrews describes the covenant... This is what he says. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And look at what Jesus is doing in verse 25 right now. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's asking the Father for things for you on your behalf. He's serving you right now in this very moment. And his disciples are taking all these things in. They're just doing it over breakfast. And at this breakfast, I can't help but think that this is one of the moments where Jesus' statements, the I am statements, this is the moment when they're really maybe starting to click. All of this stuff that they'd experienced, all of these things that they'd, they'd heard and they'd walked with with Jesus, maybe now it's starting to click. You remember the story, even John in his gospel will describe how the disciples did not understand these things while they were happening. This is John chapter 12, verse 16, and this falls on the heels of Palm Sunday, and he inserts it right here at the beginning of Holy Week to, to help us and the reader understand and come to terms with the fact that the disciples are with Jesus. They're seeing the signs, they've seen the miracles, lame walk, deaf hear, blind healed, amazing things are happening. And yet this is what it says. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Perhaps as they haul in the fish with no help from Peter, right? Because he jumps out and runs ahead. And you know why? You know why this is, because if you read the resurrection account in John chapter 20, look back to chapter 20, verse 5, you'll see John describes that he outruns Peter to the tomb. And so now Peter's saying, look, I'm not going to let this guy get a leg up. I'm going to hop out here first and get to Jesus, right? They're seeing that they're dependent on Jesus for everything. Maybe even now they're seeing that he's the good shepherd who not only laid down his life, but has truly taken it up again, that he's the vine. That even in this fishing moment, they realize apart from him, they can do nothing. But most of all, in this moment, I think this meal that, that, that John describes that Jesus prepares for them, this fish and this bread, points them back to another meal. This is John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When Jesus invites his disciples to come eat this meal, they're eating something common, they're eating something simple. It's just bread and fish. But in this area and on this very lake, this sea, 
The year before, something amazing happened. It was right around the time of Passover. Jesus feeds the 5,000, this miracle. Five loaves, two fish. It was in this place he did it on one of these very shores. And they go across shore to the other side, and Jesus tells them that he's the bread of life. He's the one who satisfies. In this moment, it is likely that the disciples remember that previous one. And maybe all these things are starting to come together. They're seeing who Jesus really is. They're seeing who they are. They're recognizing that he's the one that's come to them, and they see that Jesus is the one that serves them. He's the bread of life. All of life is found in him. We need daily bread. We need it to live, to survive. But true life, Life that never ends is only found in the bread of life, Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us? What do you do with a passage like this? Okay, Jesus takes the disciples to breakfast and he reveals these things to them. Number one, I want to challenge you to do something in the coming weeks. And I mean this very seriously. Challenge you in the sense that that people in your community group are going to hold you accountable to this. That your spouse is going to hold you accountable to this. That your friends are going to hold you accountable to this. I'm going to ask some of you this. Two big things I think we can see in this passage that we can do. Number one, we go to where people are. That's familiar places. Jesus comes to them in a place where they'd been before. And second, he serves them. You know that we can do those things? I want, to, I want to challenge you and ask you that over the next couple of weeks, you really pray about, think about, and schedule an opportunity to have one of your neighbors over for a meal. Like somebody that lives near you, somebody that's close to you, somebody that's around you, that they would come to your table and eat with you and break bread or pizza crust or if it's Taco Tuesday, a shell of some kind, right? But genuinely, gather around a table because it's in table moments like this. It's in meals where we experience transformation. Where we do evangelism by eating. We like actually gather with people. And you might say, well, what, is that? what do you mean evangelism by eating? What does that look like? You know what the table is? The table is a place where you talk about your day. Where you talk about your life. You talk about who you are. For us, it's a place kind of where we see all these things start to come together. What if God used your table to transform somebody's life? Because over dinner, maybe you start to build a relationship and you get to a place with them where you can just genuinely say, this is who I was, this is what Christ did for me, and this is who I am now. Simple as that. Giving them the gospel. You're sharing the truth of what Jesus has done in you. You're sharing your story. Special things happen at the table. What if we as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters, said, look, I'm going to go invite my neighbor to come over to dinner within the next couple of weeks. We're going to have a time and we're going we're to sit down and, and just, just invite him to come to dinner. Just get to know him. Just begin to share who we are with him. 
look, for every evangelism strategy I've ever heard, this one sounds pretty good. It comes with a meal. This is a great way, it's an opportunity to engage people here in our community and to love people as Jesus did. You're just going to where they are. They're in their neighborhood. They're at home. And you're serving them a meal. And you're letting them know that you care for them. And more than that, you're getting the opportunity to begin a relationship. I'm not expecting you to share the gospel like halfway through dinner, okay? But ultimately, you're building a relationship with somebody where they can know who you are. And you can know who they are. And you can show them who Jesus is and what he's done for you. I can think of no better way to even walk toward a challenge like that and something like that than celebrating a meal that is centered on remembering. This morning, I want to invite uh, our elders and deacons, those folks that are going to come uh, to serve the Lord's Supper this morning. Today, we're going to celebrate a meal that is centered on remembering, on remembering what Christ has done for us. And so, brothers and sisters, those of you who have been forgiven of your sins, you've trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, this table is for you. Jesus gave this sacred tradition to us, the church. Here's the reality. You don't need to think that you can only come forward to this table if you're perfect. Jesus alone is your perfection. So you're invited to come broken but hopeful and believing and repenting. And if you're not a Christian... The bread and the cup is truly something that you should not receive. Only those who've received Jesus Christ should receive communion. And we encourage you to use this time as a, as, as a time to consider the offer of forgiveness as a maternal life that Jesus gives to all those who are willing to receive him. Place your hope in him today. Trust in Jesus today. Repent of your sins. Believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and be made new in eternal life. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul would write these words, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's small, but it is a meal. This is a meal in which we're drawn to remembrance. It's a table of transformation. It's a practical picture of Jesus doing what he did with the disciples. He just gave them breakfast. A tangible picture of love. No tangible picture of love better than Christ's body given for us and the blood of the new covenant for us. Amen? We proclaim his death at this table. We proclaim that Christ has risen, or Christ has died, rather. Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. If you'll take a moment and bow your head and pray with me, and then, uh, as you see fit, come to the table. Heavenly Father, we remember as we take these elements, the death of our Savior and his glorious resurrection. Father, we do come to this table not having arrived in any way. Father, we come broken, repenting, and yet believing. And Father, as we take these elements, we see that we're not alone. 
we come to this table with brothers and sisters, those who have trusted in you. So, Father, as we take this moment and we take this opportunity, God, let us remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, here's the deal. Never been to dinner where I didn't talk, uh, didn't, didn't frown at most of them. Uh, maybe if I made the dinner, I frowned, right? Um, but look, uh, I mean, stand up and, and take an opportunity when you're ready and come and receive these elements uh, and enjoy the fact, truly, that God has given himself for you and Jesus. Come and dine.